There we go. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but uh, when I'm driving, a lot of times, now, I first of all, drive like a grandfather, uh, and I always have, so I really don't care what other people do, but as it often happens, other people make mistakes, veer over into your lane, cut you off, yada yada. And I don't know if this ever happens to you, but then after that, you like pull up to a stoplight awkwardly next to the person and you're kind of just like, do I look at them? What do I do? Like we all acknowledge this thing just happened because I'm super curious. Like I want to look over at them and be like, what do you got going on in your life? Like what, what's happening? What kind of person are you? What, what are you doing? Like, oh, you're doing your hair and your makeup and you're doing your taxes. That's very impressive, but also stay in your lane. I just have this urge, like I want to know what's going on in their life. And I have to do that by looking at them. Because I only have a short time for this interaction to happen. Otherwise, you know, you get down the road, you get distracted, you change a song on the radio, whatever. But at that moment, I'm like, what is happening in their life? Now, I always attribute when someone has a bad driving mistake, I attribute it to the fact that I assume they are trying to get home very quickly to go to the bathroom very badly. It seems nicer than just saying they're a jerk, so. <laughs> but how much can we know about someone just from a short interaction? Now take the first reading. I love it because it's so ridiculous sounding, right? Like you have this prophet, Elijah. Now, for me, whenever I encounter a biblical story, especially in the Old Testament, it's, it's kind of funny actually because I have how I have always thought of it in a box and then I have what I learned in seminary about it, and I have to kind of like mush those two together. So when I officially, or when I originally read this, I'm like, man, that Elijah, what a jerk. He's like, hello, woman, give me a cake. Let me tell you, that does not work very well. Now, some translations call it a crust of bread, but whether it was a cake or a crust of bread, the fact remains that he does not know this woman. He encounters her, and he's like, hey, by the way, give me something to eat. And her answer is equally ridiculous, okay? Well, I have nothing to eat, and the little I do have, my son and I were about to go eat it and die. Was she, like, going to poison her son? Because why, why are you going to die right after eating? That's not normal. So we know no nothing about her. We know nothing about Elijah because we have no previous context. So in this reading alone, all we have is a ridiculous person talking to a ridiculous person, and then something else ridiculous happens. They all eat for a year on the same flour and oil that she originally was lamenting over that they were going to eat and die. Again, as Elijah, I'm like, I'm not sure I want to eat at your house. I'm going to go down the way, find another widow, less suicidal. Anyway, but if you look at the context of this, uh, this reading... What has happened previous is that Elijah is on the run. The king is after him. He's made him angry because he's prophesying against him. And he's on the run. And the Lord has told Elijah, go to the town of Zarephath. And there, a widow will feed you. So, we don't know how many widows Elijah tried before he found this one. <laughs> but he was under strict instruction from the Lord. But he doesn't know her at all. Right? He encounters her and he makes this command of her. And then... We learn of her, only because we have the expository text. But how much did Elijah know? Like, did he know what he was going to do when he encountered her? 
Did he know of her dire need and circumstance? All we have in the previous text is that God said that a widow will feed you. And all we have is what he says. Go make me a cake or a crust of bread. So we don't know how much Elijah knew from this short interaction with this woman. Just from what he saw. Now we have Jesus in the gospel who also observes a widow. But this widow is putting in all she has. And again, because we don't have a bigger surrounding narrative, all we have is, G well, I'm sorry, we do. We have the longer form of the gospel, which I could have read, which talks about how Jesus is hating on the Pharisees and the scribes right before, and then he switches his attention to the, the widow giving her, her donation. So it doesn't really help us in that regard. It's not like the Elijah story. But we have no idea what Jesus saw when he looked at this woman. Did he see her begging on the way in and then make her deposit? Did he see her going through a rubbish tin trying to find food and then make her treasury deposit? We have no idea because we don't have the expository text. We don't know what Jesus saw. But he recognized in her great faith. Again, I don't know how Jesus saw it. Like, well, she put in five cents. So, Jerusalem conversion rate. More than all you guys put in. I don't know how he actually saw that, okay? I don't know how close he was to the treasury. We don't have it in the text. But what do we have in the text? We have an encounter of Jesus watching someone trusting God implicitly. God is never outdone in his generosity. So we have the widow who gives everything she has. And we have Elijah who demands of someone everything that they have. But in both cases, the widows are not miserly. They're not uh, keeping everything they have to themselves, whatever little it is. But they're trusting that God will not be outdone in his generosity. So if they show charity to someone, then God is going to take care of them. That's what we have in both of these stories. It's, it's a beautiful um, illustration of first, how we cannot know what situation someone is going through just by a short encounter, a quick meeting, a, you know, them cutting you off or whatever. People are very nuanced and we cannot make snap judgments about their motives or what's going on in their life. But we do know that if we give everything to the Lord, unreservedly, wholeheartedly, he will give us more than we could ever imagine, more than our wildest dreams, better than we could ever think of. But it's scary. It's real scary to try and give the Lord everything you have. Because what if he doesn't? What if he's done it every other time in my life, but this time is different? What if, what if, what if? Do you know whose voice that is? The devil. The devil works in fear and anxiety. What if you don't have enough? The Lord is always working in peace and tranquility, telling you, I will never abandon you. So give me everything you have. Give me all of it, whether it's your food, whether it's your money, whether it's your time, whether it's your attention. Give me everything you have. Because if we do this, we will be amazed at what the Lord gives us in return.